going to be in Acts 28. Acts 28, and you need your two fingers here tonight. One finger in Acts 28, and the other one in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. As you're turning there, be in prayer for, um, from what I understand, there was a police officer shot at the CBS over here on Ringgold Road um, five times. Um, so it was not an accident. Um, and they're looking for the shooter. Our security team has been uh, alerted. Everything's safe here. Everything's all good. No need to worry or anything like that. Um, my mom's over at the house with the kids. They got all their doors locked and all that good stuff. But be in prayer for the... They will find the man and he will be brought to justice. But be in prayer for the family of that police officer. I don't know his condition as of yet. Um, but definitely be in prayer for him and his family. Be in prayer for our nation. These are times that a lot of us never would have believed would come this quick and... Uh, the division and things we're seeing. But praise God, we can still come to church. Amen? We can still live in a nation where we can come and worship Jesus Christ. Acts chapter number 28. If we start with a review, uh, we have to get on to ourselves because we left Paul stranded on a desert island in the middle of nowhere. That wasn't very nice of us, was it? Um, we left him out there stranded on that island, and uh, we know he got off that island. We know he got on another boat, a bigger boat, a better boat, and began his journey toward Rome. Uh, and he, do, he did arrive in Rome, but uh, I want to really emphasize that Acts 28, for whatever reason, the reason is not known to us, but uh, Luke uh, finishes writing um, long before... Paul is actually executed long before we know uh, historically that Paul was executed. And uh, I don't believe that book of Acts is incomplete. I believe it's complete and completely given by inspiration of God. However, we do know a little bit more uh, happened with Paul and his life. And uh, only God knows, but Paul and, and Luke chose not to write about it here in Acts 28. But we're going to take our text verse, um, Acts 28, if you want to stand with me. We're going to read verse 16. And 17. Acts 28, 16, and 17. The Bible says, And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people, or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from, the, from, from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Tonight I want to preach on this thought, are you ready? Are you ready? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your book. Thank you so much for each and every inspired author that penned these words so that we could have hope and we could have some truth to cling to in these lost days. God, for this family of this police officer, for this family of this one that uh, has been attacked ruthlessly and um, <clears throat> terribly, God, I pray that you be with him. If he's still with us, Lord, that you heal him, whether in this life or the next. And God, I pray for his sweet family, the ones that have sacrificed, given up their daddy, or uh, I don't know that it was a man, maybe given up their mama to be a police officer each and every day. God, I pray that you help that family and be with me as I preach. Get me out of your way. Feed your sheep tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Paul made it to Rome, finally, fervently. And some would say this would be the climax of his entire earthly ministry, but he didn't get the welcome maybe we were expecting. If uh, you and I kind of had to write the end of the story or the rest of the story, uh, we would know that 
as he left Jerusalem, as he left Caesarea, um, all, the, all the animosity he was facing, all the, the hatred he was facing by those Jews and by those Roman soldiers, and he hadn't had an easy journey. He got caught up in a hurricane in the middle of the sea, got stranded on an island. I mean, you name it, the poor guys had to endure it just to get to Rome. And all of us have kind of probably been reading it. Some of you young Christians that are going through this study for the first time, you're probably cringing and wondering it's going to be terrible. It's just going to get worse when he gets to Rome. But initially that wasn't the case. The first thing by introduction tonight I want us to see is a Roman welcome. Look at verse number 16 again. When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell, look at this, by himself with a soldier that kept him. Paul was graciously viewed as being little to no threat at this time. And since the major Christian persecution had not began yet in Rome, Paul was simply placed on parole. It says he had a specific officer, a specific uh, soldier with a soldier that kept him. Paul was simply placed on what today we would call parole or house arrest. Uh, and essentially, it wasn't that bad. By all, by all means, it wasn't that bad when he first got there. He was given a little space of grace. It says all the other prisoners were given to the captain of the guard and probably placed in another cell, placed in another prison, probably not the best conditions. But Paul was simply allowed to just be under the care of this, cat, of this soldier, of this parole officer. And as long as he stayed in touch, though, if you don't know how parole works, uh, as long as he stayed in touch with that parole officer and was... Uh, dotted all his I's and crossed all his T's. He was pretty much a free man. He got to do what he wanted. I mean, parole's really not that bad. I mean, I love my parole officer. He even got me a present this week for my birthday, and I got y'all, didn't I? I got y'all, didn't I? Some of the, everybody's head went up and looked right at me. But Paul's given a Roman welcome here. It wasn't this cringing, terrible, fearful thing that he's given, and he's given a little space of grace, and what's important is what he does with it. Not only a Roman welcome, but a reasonable welcome. Look at verse 17. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So here now he calls the chief priests and the, uh, the big bosses in charge there in Rome of the Jews of the Jewish church, those Pharisees there in Rome and uh, those ones that would have been uh, had a, a hearsay or a, something in his trial. And uh, wouldn't you know it, if you look over in verse number, uh, I believe it's, let me, let me find it here. Let me make sure I don't read the wrong verse. Verse 20 uh, Paul says, For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came and showed or spake any harm of thee. What did they just say? We don't even know what you're talking about, Paul. We haven't heard anything of your trials. We haven't heard anything of your accusations. We haven't heard anything of all the terrible things that you're accused of. Here over in Rome, here in the capital of the known world at that time, in the most financially prosperous city, in the most um, <coughs> uh, militarily prosperous city, there at the, the most dominant place in the known world, they had no clue what was going on in the life of Paul. 
These would have been Jews that would have had stature, had an ear to the Roman throne, had ear to the Roman government. And here they are, and they have no clue what's been going on in the life of Paul. And sometimes it would be very quick to assume that uh, all the Jews were against Paul. And that just because those Jews there in in Jerusalem and Caesarea and there uh, around Israel (coughs) uh, had such an animosity towards Paul, had such a hatred towards Paul, and you would just make the assumption, you would make the, uh, the... the, jump to the quick conclusion that the, the Jews there in Rome would probably be worse, that the Jews there in Rome would probably be even more angry, and that the Jews there in Rome would probably be more big and bad. But don't we do that? Sometimes you realize that those big, bad, terrible enemies that we assume are out there don't even know what we're talking about. Doesn't the devil like to whisper that in our ear? Doesn't the devil like to trick us into thinking that wherever your Rome is, wherever your big place is, whether it's your boss's office or whether uh, it's this application or that application, wherever your Rome is, a lot of times we think that there's just people there that are out to get us and out to get me, and we cringe and we come and we introduce ourselves and they go, well, nice to meet you. I've never heard of any of the things that you think. And a lot of times we carry our reputations with us and we carry things and baggage with us that people don't even know about. Many times we could be in Rome and we could be in the trenches and we could be witnessing, but we don't because we fear of what they might think about us. We fear of what they might know about us. We fear of what they might care about us. But the truth of the matter is, many of them don't have a clue. Many of them don't have a clue. And it was a reasonable welcome. Look at verse number 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. They began to take and to process what Paul was saying and begin to understand what Paul was professing here, that he was now a Christian and that he was a believer in Jesus. And uh, they began to just take these things and chew on them a little bit and then reason one with another. And they didn't immediately reject it. They didn't immediately uh, respond with hatred and with vileness like the other Jews had. Here they're starting to weigh it out and to start to listen to it a little bit. Now we know that Some did reject it, and some didn't want to go with it, and some didn't want to listen to Paul's message. But the point of the matter is is that it wasn't a total rejection. Paul actually got some reason out of these Jews, and they began to talk, and they began to reason about themselves, but not just a receiving welcome, or excuse me, a, a reasoning welcome, but a receiving welcome. Look at verse number 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came into him, preaching the kingdom of God, And teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Paul, when given the opportunity, when given the space of grace, which we would know now in modern day as parole, when being literally placed in a a theme of house arrest, when they said, Paul, you don't have to go to jail, you don't have to, but until your trial, you can go have a home, you can go uh, rent a house, it was a hired house here, you can go (coughs) uh, and pay your dues and stay in a little bit more of a commodious situation. And he literally responded with having church. He literally responded with beginning to preach and begin to build a Bible study there and begin to build uh, a following there of Jesus Christ right where he was, right in his home. When given the opportunity to preach, Paul preached. And all that came into his house were received. Look at the welcome he gave. Look at this. And received all that came in unto him. Paul was literally a prisoner of Rome. Paul was literally awaiting trial before the Caesar, the most powerful man in the known world at the time. And here he is preaching 
that Jesus is God, preaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Here he is in a city in which the citizens are literally forced by Roman law to worship the Caesar, to worship the emperor, to worship the one that is large and in charge. And here he is in that very same city, begin to preach that Jesus is God and that Jesus is the only way and that Jesus died for our sins and that Jesus loves those Romans. Can you imagine as people were coming to his door that the danger of somebody that could infiltrate the danger of somebody that could go in there and hear the message he was preaching and go and tattle on him to the Roman guard, to the Roman government, to the Roman uh, politicians there. In Rome, there was great danger in opening his doors and opening his home to have these messages and have church there in his little house. And he received all. And church, there's going to be danger in receiving all. There's going to be danger with opening the doors of Anchor of Hope Baptist Church and telling those who are weary to come and telling those who are tired to come and telling those who need Jesus to come. There's always going to be danger, but God is bigger than the danger. God is bigger than the trials. God is bigger than the Roman emperor. God is bigger than the Roman Caesar. Paul understood that, and here we find him right here in his little house church in the city of Rome, still believing God. Still believe in God. But Paul, a secret Roman spy could infiltrate and catch you preaching about Jesus and how He's God and they can have you executed immediately. Immediately for teaching treason, for teaching heresy and not teaching that we're to worship the emperor and worship the Caesar. Paul said, let them all come in. Let them all come in. They all need to hear about Jesus. At the closing of those two years, Paul, over that span of two years, Paul would write several epistles. But at the closing of those two years, and it could have been a little bit more than two years from what we know about history, but at the closing of Paul's life, we're going to flip over now to 2 Timothy. Because, again, the book of Acts is complete. It is inspired. There's nothing missing from the book of Acts. But Luke stopped writing there as he was preaching and teaching there in, <clears throat> in Rome. But luckily, Paul didn't stop writing. Paul uh, did the majority of his writing during this time. And he wrote 2 Timothy. And I want us to look at the last words of, the, of a dying man, of a man whose date was set, of a man whose execution had been sentenced, of a man whose time was up. And what the attitude of that man was. Because as I just preached at the funeral, Paul had a blessing that none of us usually have. And it was kind of a, bl a blessing and a curse because it was something to be fearful of for you and me that I would be afraid of it to know I was about to face execution, to know that I was about to face a beheading. But Paul literally knew the time and the place that he was going to die. Paul knew the time and the place was very quickly approaching where his life was over. You and I aren't given that courtesy. You and I aren't given that blessing. We don't know our time. We don't know our place. We don't know the moment. We don't know the minute. We don't know the hour. Yet we have to have the same attitude Paul had. And what was that? Look at verse number six. Look what Paul said. For I am now, say that word with me, church, ready. Say it one more time. For I am now, ready. one more time. For I am now, ready. being ready. Are you ready? We've watched Paul and we've watched Peter, James, and John and all those apostles come through so much, endure so much, stand and preach against so many odds. We've watched the testimony of this man from the Damascus Road all the way up to the literal Roman roads. We've watched this man suffer 
shame and suffering and, and, and being despised and being hated, being cursed at, being uh, threatened, being plotted against. And here he is saying the words, I'm ready. I'm ready. It's okay, Timothy. I'm ready. Tonight I wonder, even though we don't know the time, do we walk around each day ready? Could I tell you that you could? Could I tell you that you can? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Paul says in verse number 6, he was ready to be offered. Look at verse number 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul was literally saying, Timothy, I am ready to die. Paul, or Timothy, I am ready to die. I'm ready to go. It's okay, Timothy. Can you imagine the faith? Can you imagine the heart, the fervency that's behind those words? As Timothy would have been reading this letter, he wouldn't even have known if Paul was still living yet because he, he, he's getting the letter maybe a couple weeks later, a couple months later even. Can you imagine as Timothy shakily reading that letter and he reads Paul right the words, I'm, I'm ready to be offered, Timothy. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. The fervency and the faith that would have taken for Paul to write that is something you can't fake. It's something you can't manufacture. It's only something that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ living on the inside of you. Why? Because to be ready to die, you have to be able to look back and say, I don't regret a mile. You have to be able to look back and see all the places and all the roads God, where God came and where God found you. Despite yourself, despite the direction you were going on that road, Paul, no doubt, as he's pinning these words, remembered that Damascus road. Remember the moments where he was literally going to arrest Christians, to persecute Christians, to kill Christians where God found him. If you're going to be ready, you're going to live like you're ready to die. You've got to never lose track of the day. Never lose track of the mind. If the Holy Ghost is living inside of you, you won't because He'll bring it back. He'll take you to the time. He'll show you to the place. He'll bring you back to that time and that place where the Lord saved you. It will never leave your mind. You may not know the calendar date. You may not know what the clock on the wall said. You may not even remember who was there and who was around or what was being said, but you remember the time you met the Holy Spirit of God. You remember the time where he reached down farther than you could reach up and he found you. How was Paul ready? That's how he was ready. He remembered his Damascus road. He remembered his relationships. He remembers sweet Barnabas putting his arm around him when everybody pushed him away. When everybody, when the Pharisees ran him out of town, but Peter, James, and John and the Holy Rollers, they pushed back on him too and they said, no, 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 we know who you are. Your reputation precedes you. And he remembers sweet Barnabas. He remembers those companions. He remembers those friends he was given. He remembers those sweet families like Aquila and Priscilla and all those homes he worked through and ministered in. He remembers all the family of God that he was blessed to be a part of and to minister to. Those relationships. And he was ready not only to die, but he was right on time. Look at verse number 6. For I am now ready, and the time of my departure is at hand. Again, as I said earlier, he was given a blessing to know what time he was going. He may have not known the exact minute or sunrise, sundown, but he knew Nero was about to do what he said he was going to do. And he knew the Jews were finally going to get their way. But he didn't stop there. And he said he was not just 
right on time, but he was ready to go. For the time of my departure. For the time of my departure. Being ready to be offered means you're not just ready to die and place your body in a hope chest as we just witnessed over at the funeral home. But you're ready to go. You're ready to go home. You're ready to leave this wicked and dying world. You're ready to leave this sin-cursed flesh. You're ready to leave this body that is poisoned with pride, as we heard about this morning, and poisoned with lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh and the pride of life. You're ready to leave these things that have a grip on you and have a foothold in your life. And you're ready to leave these areas and these temptations and these valleys of your life. And you're ready to go to a place, to go to a land where the milk and the honey flow and the presence of the Lamb of God is there forever and ever. And the place that He's prepared for you and the home that He's prepared for you. And as I preached about that sweet man, uh, (coughs) Bobby Reed, and his love for Diet Mountain Dew. I said, if there wasn't Diet Mountain Dew in heaven before, there is now because he probably smuggled some in in the gates of Pearl. And I had to have a long talk with my four-year-old little girl about this because she was distraught. She was in a mess. She was losing her mind because she realized that she can't take any of her toys to heaven with her. And I said, but baby girl, don't you realize that the manufacturer of all toys, the manufacturer of all joy, the manufacturer of all happiness, the manufacturer of all glory, the manufacturer of the streets of gold, the manufacturer of the gates of Pearl, the manufacturer of the walls of Jasper, the manufacturer of the mansion he has for you and mansion has for baby girl, don't you realize he can give you anything you want. He can take care of you any way you need. And that's what heaven's going to be like, baby girl, and her little doubts and her little mind. Just, oh, Jesus is going to be there. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Paul was ready to be offered because he was ready to go. He was not just ready to be offered, but he was ready to ordain. Look at verse number seven. I have fought. I love this verse. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. Those words have fought comes from the Greek word agonizomai word we get agonize, agonizing to labor fervently. Had Paul labored fervently Had Paul faced agony? Had Paul faced pain? Had Paul faced suffering? So have some of us. So have some of the saints in this room that have agonized and labored and faced loss. Some of them said goodbye to dear sweethearts, dear husbands. Said goodbye to dear sweethearts, dear wives. Had to face disease. Had to face disorders. Some of you are still fighting those battles. And Paul, right here at the end, he said... I'm ready. I fought the good fight. I fought my battles. When Paul said, I fought the good fight, he wasn't talking about Timothy's fight. He wasn't talking about my fight. Paul had fought his fight. Paul had fought the battles that Paul had to fight. Paul had to stand in the gaps that were there for Paul to stand in. Paul had to lift up his voice when it was time for Paul to speak. Paul fought his own battles, but Paul finished his own course. Look at this. I have finished my course. If you look in your Bibles, that word my is italicized, which means it was put there by the King James Version translators. So it wasn't there in the original Greek text. It's not an error. It's not a mistake. But he simply said, I have finished course. I finished my race. I have finished my course. I have finished what God has called me to do. Paul lived his life in such a way 
that he didn't regret a mile. He didn't regret one part of his life. He didn't regret one time he had to suffer one time. Why? He didn't regret a mile, not because he was perfect, but he met the man who was. He met, he met the one that could keep him and hold him and keep him in his grace and keep him in his will. He didn't regret a mile, not because he was so great, but because God was so great. Paul knew that even though that he couldn't have finished the course all on his own, when he's writing here to Timothy, he's saying, I finished my course by the grace of Almighty God, that there was no way that I could have done it, Timothy. Timothy, write it down, jot it down. Paul could not have done this. Paul could not have completed this course. Paul could not have completed this race. It had to be God. It had to be God. I've learned that more in the last couple of months as I've been serving here and preaching more at Anchor of Hope than I ever thought I could learn. How in the world, God, could I grow from the area of just a simple youth ministry to preaching three services a week. Now, a service is a week, but grow deeper and be able to feed these saints of God that could take the Bible and take me up one side and down the other with it. That How in the world could I be able to pastor? How in the world could... Let me tell you something. There's no way I can. There's a way He can. And He showed me that time and time again. Bryce, there's no way. There's no way. If you're going to be ready, you have to admit that this thing ain't about you. The race you're running ain't about your talent, your skill, your ability. It's about what God can do with you. He was ready to ordain because he kept his own faith. Paul would be an example for Timothy, for Titus, for Philemon, and all the Christians to come. Paul lived his life in such a way that his testimony was able to stand now 2,020 years. His testimony is able to be used and able to be preached about and able to be examined and uh, exhorted and exposed and, and, and taken and, and used to minister to people. But you know what? His testimony can't save me. His relationship with God can't save you. He was saying, Timothy, I have kept the faith. He didn't say, Timothy, I've kept your faith. He said, Timothy, I've kept the faith. Are you a Christian or are you going to heaven? Oh, my dad's a preacher. Are you a Christian or are you going to heaven? Oh, my uncle. He had a church down in Dalton one time. Are you saved? Are you going to church? Are, are, are you a Christian? Are you going to heaven when you die? Oh, my, my, my granddaddy was a great preacher. That's what Paul's saying here. Timothy, I'm ready. But I'm ready for me. You have to be ready for you. Are you ready? He knew the next generation of preacher boys and hundreds of generations to come. And I don't think Paul maybe even was given the vision for what Christianity would turn into. Paul was waiting for Jesus to come back right there in his day. Paul was not given the vision that 2,020 years later, Anchor of Hope Baptist Church would be at 2613 Lakeview Drive preaching the gospel to every creature. Paul was not given that vision. Paul was not given... But he still lived his life in such a way that his testimony could still be relevant and still be used here today. So you don't know who's watching you. You don't know who the little eyes and the young men and the young ladies that are watching you and watching your testimony. But you ought to live your life. You ought to run your race. You ought to finish your course in such a way that for years to come, even though you may never see it, you may never know about it, there'll be little ones. There'll be young men, young ladies that say, I remember how he prayed. And when they have to lead their family, 
When they have to step up and be a father, when they have to step up and be a mother, they can think back to a Christian, to a preacher, to a deacon, to a godly woman, to a godly man, and remember a Christian who finished their course, who kept their faith, who didn't quit. Why? Because they were ready. Because they were ready. Ready to offer, ready to ordain, but lastly, ready to obtain. I've already stepped on this one quite a bit just because it's an easy one to get excited about. Verse number 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. There was an obtained incentive. You know what Paul was saying to Timothy about this crown of righteousness? He wasn't telling Timothy how great the crown was going to look on his head. He wasn't telling Timothy how comfortable the crown was going to be. He wasn't telling Timothy how, uh, how jealous everyone else in heaven was going to be of him and his pretty shiny crown. No, what he was telling Timothy, son, it's worth it. Son, it's worth it. I'm now ready to obtain the prize that God has in store for me. I'm now ready to inherit the kingdom that God has given me. I'm now ready to go to the place that my God has prepared for me. Why? Because I know that the life I've lived, the testimony I have, the gospel I've preached, the message I've lived, the walk I've walked, the talk I've talked, it is worth it. Jesus. Jesus Himself. Timothy is going to place a crown on my head. Can you think of any other higher honor? We know our reaction will be to cast those crowns right back at his feet. Because he deserves them. But can you think of any higher honor than the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yet we put him in the back seat for what we want to do for what we want to chase after, for the ambitions and the goals that we have. i tell you something. You'll never be ready to serve God until you're ready to realize that it's not about your stature and worth down here. It's about your stature and worth up there. Paul said, Timothy, I'm ready to get that obtained incentive and that original, the original invigorator. Jesus will be there. The one, the righteous judge, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Why do you think Paul listed that for Timothy? Timothy knew that. He listed that for you and me. He said, Timothy, the one who has every right to condemn me, the one who has every right to send me to an eternity in hellfire, the one who has every right because of my sin, because of my faults, and because of my failures, the Lord Jesus Christ who has every right to condemn my soul to hell, to condemn my soul to eternal damnation, that is the judge. That is the very one who is going to be there to embrace me. That is the very one that's going to be there to welcome me. That is the very one that is going to be with me forever and forever and forever. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we will be with Jesus forever, Timothy. That's what we're obtaining. His presence for all eternity. And He's the very one who has every right to snuff us out into eternal damnation because of who we are and what we are. But He loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. And He ends it with an open invitation. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love 
His appearing. This love speaks of a love expressed through service. Love His appearing. What does it mean to love the appearing of Christ? Translate it back and look. It's simply, and all those also who serve Him. Serve Him. You show me somebody that says they're ready to meet the Lord, I'll show you somebody who's serving them right now. That sweet, sweet funeral. Even in the fragileness of her body, Bobby Reed's wife, person after person that came to the casket to pay their final respects, there she was sitting next. She said, I want you to know he loved you. And I want you to know he cared about you. And I want you to know he said this about you. And he knew this was going on in your life and he prayed for you. His wife was able to tell these testimonies to person after person. And I watched that family crumble. And just hearing the words that there was a man who loved you and there was a man who prayed for you. But I watched that same family, some of that same family, be told that there was a God in heaven who loved them. Be told that there was a God in heaven who cared for them. Be told that there was a God in heaven that knew every pain, that knew every sorrow, that knew every single part of their heart and every single part of their imagination, knew all their faults, knew all their failures, and He loved them anyway, and He died for them anyway. And I watched some just... The same ones who melted when they found out Papa loved Him. Cold to the love of God. You know why? They're not ready. They're not ready. Preacher preached this morning, there's pride in the way. There's stuff in the way. There's stony ground in the way. You know what will make the difference? Not if a guy in a suit gets up there and wags his finger at him. God can use that, and he has used that, and he will use that. But maybe what will make the difference is if a Christian who's living like they're ready comes into contact with them. And that though the world around them is getting darker and darker and meaner and meaner and more and more divided, that Christian... They're ready. They're ready to go. You'd think Paul would have probably went out with a bigger bang just by his past. By his willingness to say and to yell and to holler and to preach and to be fervent and to be fiery. But here we find him going out saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We don't need any piano music or anything like that. I know many in here are saved. Many in here know the Lord as their Savior. But I just want you to ask yourself, no looking around, are you living like you're ready? Or are you still chasing after worldly possession, worldly gain, worldly things? In these last days, the church simply just doesn't have time for it. God simply doesn't have time for a Christian who's not living like they're ready. Ready to see him come get him. Ready to see him save a soul. Ready to see him use a Christian. Ready to see him use a service. Ready to see him use a local New Testament church to accomplish the great commission. There might be one in here that's lost. You said, preacher, I'm not ready to die because I don't know where I'd go. Preacher, I'm not ready because I'm not sure where I'd spend eternity. Paul did. Paul knew. I want to just tell you, if that's you tonight, and you're not 
100% sure where you'd spend eternity. I would just invite you to stay behind after service. So will I. I'd love to talk with you and take a Bible and show you what it means to be saved, to be ready. Let's close in a good word of prayer. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for the dear brothers and sisters who've come and joined themselves around me and around my family and around each other. God, in these perilous times, in these times of uncertainty, in these times of division, God, in these times of uh, all the craziness and all the insanity that's going on in our nation and our government and our leadership, God, I pray that you just help us to look at the, fault, the dying words of a, the last words of a dying man, of a man that was sentenced to death, and help us to see his heart, help us to see his fervency, that even in those last days, even when all hope looked bleak, he was ready. He was ready to testify of the goodness of God. He was ready to bring glory to the name of Jesus. God, I pray that if there's somebody in here that has been touched by the life and the ministry of Paul, and God, I pray that you challenge them and you use them. God, I pray that you help them to see that there's many ways to get involved, that there's many ways to serve and to do right here at 2613 Lakeview Drive. God, I pray for that one in here that's lost, that two, that three. God, you know their hearts. Lord, God, I pray that if they're not absolutely sure where they'd spend eternity, that they not play games with your Holy Spirit, that they not play games with the conviction of their soul, but that they stay behind and take a Bible and learn more about salvation. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to close with a couple of announcements. We had a good meeting after service this morning. Um, just help me. I'm going to leave a phone tree as well. We'll have... Uh, Sunday school for the children's age next Sunday. So if you know somebody that's been wanting to come to Sunday school but they have kids and they haven't been able to come, let them know we'll be having Sunday school for the children's age next Sunday. Also, we'll be ramping up the nursery officially next Sunday. So um, the numbers keep going down. Um, the leadership's encouraged. I'm encouraged. Um, we're taking more steps in the right direction. Just pray God's protection still be on the people of Anchor of Hope. Amen? Amen. Business is picking up at the house of God. Let's be dismissed. Y'all have a good night. See you Wednesday.